Benjamin Franklin once said, the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price is forgotten. The fact is, quality matters. Join us as we make quality fun, interesting, and accessible to companies of all levels. Quality Matters is a must-listen for all things quality. Listen in, ask questions, and get back to doing what matters most. Quality Matters, brought to you by Texas Quality Assurance, where quality management gets simplified. Hello, and welcome back to the Quality Matters podcast. I am Kyle Chambers with Texas Quality Assurance. Um, If you're watching this on a YouTube or wherever, you may see that we've kind of got a different background. So we're doing a little bit of kind of change up in the office, trying to consolidate a few things. And so that's it's kind of meant that I didn't get to record this uh, last week. Of course, you know, it's kind of funny after I said on the last episode that, hey, we're going to get back to doing this regular. But, you know, life happens. You got to adapt and, and, and kind of move with it. So we are going to pick back up today on this new mini series and what we're doing. Oh, hang on a second here. I better set a timer. Otherwise I totally forgot to do that before I got started. Otherwise what's going to happen is I'm going to sit here and babble for about two or three hours, just because I find this stuff interesting. You know, I know I'm kind of weird. Um, it will be very often we'll be uh, meeting with a client. And I'm like, all right, so this is the fun part. And then I kind of realize how silly it is. Sometimes I consider these things fun, but you know, I guess that's why I do what I do. In any case, we're picking back up today on consultation. So I'm going to walk you all through here over the next few weeks from maybe not the 20,000 foot view, but I'm going to walk you through what that consultation process looks like. Now, this is for a couple of reasons is one, I recognize that the vast majority of you that are listening are not our customers, and that's perfectly fine. I want to make certain that you've got the information you need to do well in your organization. So this, if I could go back in time, you know, 10, 15 years when I first started putting some of these systems in place, hey, this is kind of how I would have done it then. I know I could have saved myself a lot of time and energy, really, really saved a lot of headaches. So we, we kind of finished up last time talking about going through this uh, gap analysis, this five-point review. So this is really where everything starts. And the goal isn't that we're checking for every single aspect of the standard. The goal is that we understand with respect to the standard how the business actually functions and operates. So we'll, we'll take a process, for, for example. We're going to look at our purchasing process. Now, you may say, well, Kyle, where's this list of processes that you get? It, it does change kind of organization to organization to some degree, but um, there's some that are just common among most organizations. So we've got a purchasing process. Within that purchasing process, we have to have suppliers. Okay. Well, that means we also have to identify who we approved as a supplier. Now, if you're not running an ISO 9001 or API Q1 or throw in other any other random standard you want in there, compliance standard, you may be saying, well, Kyle, I don't approve suppliers. Well, you do. You just don't know that you approved them. When you say, yes, we're going to use those folks and I'm going to cut them a check or whatever it is for, you know, what they're doing. You've you've approved them. You had some criteria that you used to approve them. So those are the type of things I want to document. It's like, great. So we've got this supplier. Why? Why would you pick them? And then uh, someone will kind of feedback to me why they picked that supplier. Like, OK, well. How did they get entered into the system? Because they have to be in some accounting software somewhere because we've got to pay them and, and track that we paid them. Um, 
And so they'll go through and answer those questions. They'll kind of tell me how they got them in the system. Like, okay, well, did you, how'd you hand that over? Let's say they get handed over to, uh, to accounting. We've got a small, small company, maybe 50, hundred employees. And, and we've got someone sitting over there that probably does multiple jobs. Maybe they, they help out with accounting. They manage QuickBooks. They do HR. They help out with workers comp. They handle insurance. You know, we've kind of got this, this general office admin person, which again, really common. And so what I'll ask is like, okay, well, when you handed it over to accounting, did you, would you give them? And it may be that they say, oh, well, I give them a copy of the quote that I got from the vendor, and that's got all their information on it, and this is what accounting needs. Great. Another answer could be, um, I just email them and say, I just bought this stuff, and uh, you're going to have to make sure that they get entered in the system. Okay? I'm, I'm sure accounting loves when that happens, but the truth is, it's you still have a process. You still have a sequence in which things get done and get accomplished. And that, my friend, is what we care about in that gap assessment. We are by no means saying the standard says you have to do it this way. I simply want to know how you do it. The fun thing here, again, I say fun thing is uh, I didn't even catch myself doing it until I did it, is this really allows for a lot of creativity. So you know, if you're listening, you're probably not seeing any of this, but up behind me, you know, I've got ISO standard, API, all this different stuff up here. And, you know, they're full of rules, requirements, regulations. And it's like, well, how do we meet those requirements? Yeah, sometimes you got to get a little creative. We can be creative. If the standard does not forbid us from doing it, then, hey, we can do it. You know, a simple example is, let's say the standard says that you must determine. Well, what on earth does determine mean? That's kind of a weird term. All determine means is you have made a decision and you've communicated that decision. That doesn't mean it has to be documented. If it says documented information must be provided, some form of document information must be provided. But again, if we're being creative, like document information, or you know, maybe they say you must maintain a record of it. Okay. What kind of record? Does a record mean that I have to have a specific form I fill out for every decision I make? Maybe yes, maybe no. Um, maybe that documentation is as simple as the manager checking a box and initialing so we know it's him on a form. That is documented information. The point is, I just want everyone to kind of open your, your mind a little bit to the possibilities of how we maintain compliance. So again, I'll go through that. And those are the things I'm looking at for, for purchasing process for suppliers. And then I'm probably going to go over and talk to shipping and receiving. And I'm going to ask shipping and receiving, well, when product comes in, what do you do with it? Now, they'll give you some quick answer. Well, we just send it over to warehouse or we, we take it out to the shop or whatever it is. Okay, well, that's fine. When it comes in, is there any paper? And I ask these dumb questions as if I'm completely clueless, but it, it helps put you in a, um, a non-threatening position because, look, everyone knows if you're putting a system in place, they know you're about to make their life more complicated. And a lot of people are fearful of... Am I doing things the right way or the wrong way? Are they going to get mad at me because I did it this way or get mad at me because I did it that way? So just come in, like, honestly, with kind of a childlike innocence of, I don't know what's going on here. Can you help me figure it out? Maybe scaffold that with uh, some well-phrased questions. So like this is like, well, when when you receive, let, let's say in this case, we're receiving weld wire. We're a weld shop, pretty common. You're receiving weld wire, ask them. When you receive that weld wire, does it come with any paperwork? 
they'll say, you know, they'll probably say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We get, you know, maybe there's a material cert that came with it. Maybe there's a packing list. I mean, kind of depends on, on where you purchase it from, what paperwork comes in. And then I'll just ask the next dumb question. What's it for? Well, maybe they'll tell you. Maybe they won't. I've run into both scenarios. Let's say they do tell you. They're like, oh, well, that's the, uh, you know, that's a material cert for it. Oh, okay. Do you do anything with the material cert? Oh, yeah. I give that over to our uh, operations manager, and he files it away. Oh, cool. All right. So I know right now, even if we're not doing all of the traceability and managing with the inventory and tracking each little bit to each little project and, and part of the job, I know what process is there. I know what process isn't there. And again, this helps me identify what those gaps are. This helps me identify what the process is so we can start to pair it better with the standard. So again, these, these are the big um, outputs of, of that gap assessment. Um, material traceability. That's another one we have to consider. Material traceability is a real fun one, though. Because um, material traceability is like, well, how detailed do we need to go? Um, company I, I used to work for, man, we tracked every inch of weld wire to the material it went to. If you changed out a spool of weld wire... I knew which one of those, you know, 100 components got the second set of weld wire versus the first one. It's not fun to set up. You have to have a good, good inventory management system to make it work. Um, but maybe your shop isn't that detailed. See, we all immediately assume that we have to be that detailed. You know, the truth is, company I worked for before, we had to track, if we used fasteners, we had to track each fastener to a material cert for some of these projects. That's not fun. That's not easy to do. I mean, it is a real pain to do. And so this horrifies folks when I use the term material traceability, because that's immediately what comes to mind. Now, in this instance, we had to do that because of the risk involved with the products that we're working on, right? So we simply could not afford failure period. You have failure on some of these components. I mean, you're talking about million plus dollars of damage, outages, loss to customer, bad reputation. You just can't risk risk failure at all. Now, a lot of organizations, a lot of industries, it's not quite so critical. Um, and so then you're going to be like, well, Kyle, how do I make the determination how detailed I need to go? This is one of the few areas where I actually recommend a risk register. For any of you who have listened to me for a while or maybe have gone through a consultation process with me, you know that I truly dislike, nearly could say hate, risk registers. Um, but this is one area where they are useful. If you have determined that this is a very low risk for material traceability, for instance, uh, we've got one customer who does a lot of woodworking. Now, as you know, no two boards are identical. Now, if you're working with metals or plastics, you have the expectation that every single sheet of metal, every single uh, piece of bar stock, everything is identical and uniform throughout. No one can expect that with wood. So we can't do the same level of material traceability there, nor would it even make sense to try. Um, so in these scenarios, you can then add into the risk register that this is perceived as a very low risk to our organization. Give some justification as to why. And then you can say, and as a result, we're using these minimal levels of material traceability. 
my gosh, when you're going through an audit and the auditor, because again, a lot of these auditors have preconceived notions of how it should be. And if they're a good auditor, they're always going to push the more stringent interpretation of the standard and force you to justify a lighter interpretation of the standard. Again, it's just the job of a good auditor. But if you can come at the auditor and he's like, well, why is it that you're just keeping copies of, you know, the purchase orders and, you know, um, a heat number only if the wood was heat treated? Otherwise, you're just doing a visual inspection on it when it comes in. And you're like, yeah, that's great. That works wonderful for us. So he's like, well, that's not material traceability. You're like, ha ha. Well, it is. Let me show you my register here. I have already predetermined all of these risks here in association with material traceability. And this, what we're doing, meets and exceeds any of the requirements we determined by analyzing the risk. Now, you're using just a bunch of auditor speak and quality jargon there. You're basically just saying we're doing what makes sense for our business and we have documented why. Now, you cannot use the same logic again. Let's say we go back to a weld shop or bar stock and we're working on very high demand components. You, you can't use the same logic there. Um, again, because the, the criticality of it is, is a little bit, little bit different. Um, you know, when you take a look at like, a, you know, this little basic stuff on it, when you take a look at like a two by four, a two by four is not two by inches by four inches anymore. It used to be once upon a time. But the way they found is that if we actually reduce the size of the two by four, maintaining, you know, certain proportions that we don't lose any of the required strength. Now, I'm not going to go into all the science of how that works, um, but that means there's still some little bit of a margin in there for it. And these numbers are based off of uh, kind of averages of, of different pieces of wood, the grains and all this different type of stuff. Well, we use metal because wood won't work. <laughs> so there are certain properties that we're looking for in the metals that we just can't get out of another material like wood. So that in by virtue of the fact that we're using a different material kind of has already identified that there really is a need for it. All right. But again, these are what we go through. And these are the conversations that, that we have when we go through that gap assessment. Once it's all finished, we're going to have a lot of very common processes. So I'm going to kind of go through and list some of those for you right now. These are all what are actually on our five point review. Let me see if I can pull one up right now just so that I don't forget anything, because Lord knows <clears throat> I um, oftentimes have a uh, little bit of a bad memory here. And I thought I had one available. Guess I don't. Okay, that's fine. I probably should have had one pulled up before I got started today. But no, so we'll go through. And we're Right now, I'm talking mostly to ISO 9001. I'll be honest with you, even when we do our API Q1 clients, or you know, very few Q2 clients, because there's just not a lot of Q2 certifications out there. Um, we tend to follow the ISO 9001 format layout and language when we're dealing with our procedures almost nine times out of 10. In our experience, I can't say this is universal, just in the clients we've worked with. If they've got Q1 or Q2, they also got 9001 because let's be honest, Q1 and Q2 are more stringent than 9001 in most areas, maybe not by much, but by some. Um, and really the only thing extra that 9001 has is specifics of how it deals with risk and specifics of context of the organization, which still kind of indirectly the other standards address. So I'm going to use kind of 9001 language. So don't think that, hey, Kyle, you're skipping my whole industry. No, I just recognize that these are all fairly uh, transferable with each other, you know. So we're going to start with the most vague, weird one of all, context of the organization. Context the organization. Oh, 
By the way, in the future weeks, I'm going to go through each of these processes in a lot more detail. So if you feel like I'm skipping over a lot of stuff or breezing through it, hey, I am. So listen in over the next few weeks and we'll get into a lot of detail about it so you can really, really make sure it works. Um, hopefully I can get you maybe some uh, samples of what these look like. It's just sometimes it's a little hard to generalize and sanitize some of the work that we've done. So I want to make certain that, uh, that we've got some time to go through that. But let's talk about these processes. We've got context, the organization. This is all about who you are, what you do. Okay. Well, I want you to tell me the type of products and services you provide. Do not tell me everything you could potentially provide at some point in time in the future or your five-year, 10-year strategic plan for the company. That doesn't really belong in your quality manual. Context, the organization nine times out of 10 ought to be documenting a quality manual. I want to know what you currently do, what you're currently capable of. If you've got something in the near future that there are active projects preparing you for, fine, let's list that as well. But anything's in there saying, this is what I do. I ran into this a, a few years ago with uh, one client, um, CEO of the company, truly one of these like visionary entrepreneurial type people. My gosh, if I had half the uh, the skill and charisma and, and vision that this guy did, man, <laughs> business would be way, way different, better than it is right now. Um, but, you know, I'm just a computer geek that, that learned quality management. So, but this guy had on his, on the website, man, they had all of these things that could be done that were within the grasp of what they do. And maybe they'd done one or two small projects in the past so they could say that we've done it. Um, and really their website was just phenomenal. All of the things that they listed on there, just wonderful, really attracted a lot of uh, business to them, a lot of opportunities. The problem was they didn't, actually do half of that stuff on a regular basis. Um, so I had to tell them, it's like, look, before you go get certified, you, you kind of have to pull some of the stuff off your website or make it really clear that these additional services here that you want to move into, you're not certified for. Otherwise, you know, you, you kind of misleading saying that, hey, this whole class of services over here that we really haven't ever done, but I have the skill to do, we're, we're certified, you know, to do. That wasn't the case. So really, we've got to narrow down the context of the organization to what we actually do. Now, you might be saying, well, Kyle, what if we expand and grow and get all these new opportunities and, and new capabilities? Revise your manual by all means. Revise it. Update that context of the organization. Tell us who you are and what you do. All right. Another part of context organization, we're going to look at what's called internal and external issues and interested parties. Um Really, again, weird, complicated language. But what we're looking at here is what are the big deals that, that bother our company? Like, what are the issues that could impact us? Okay. So, I, you know, I think uh, recently uh, Geico pulled completely out of California, some other locations. One of the issues that led to them shutting down their facilities was um, insurance regulations. I know here in Texas, like our insurance rates are going sky high right now because of some new regulations, some new changes. And these are issues, external issues that impact our business. All right. So that caused Geico to say, you know what? We're getting out of there. We're done. That's an issue we no longer care to deal with. Okay, so let's context the organization. What are the issues externally and internally that severely impact you? Now, you could start building a hundred item long list. Oh my gosh, please, please don't. 
let's try to keep these fairly brief, fairly short. There is no rule. The auditor's criteria is really in that interview with you of how well you explain it and describe it. So if your internal external issues are only five to 10 items long, as long as these are truly critical items that impact your business, fantastic. Um, let's say part of the issue with your business, uh, we had a client here a couple of years ago that had, you know, my gosh, I think 40 plus of these uh, giant uh, oil tanks. They did, uh, you know, mixing and blending of fluids and things like that. <clears throat> well, one of the issues for them is that there is a school right next door. One of the issues for them is they're in the Houston area where it rains all the dad gum time. Well, and it's always humid. So you get just the slightest little bit of oil on the ground, man, you've got a slick that's just going to be there for a while. Then you've got all of the other environmental issues that come with it. And these were their internal and external issues that were of primary concern. So we have to make sure that we, we've got controls in place to mitigate these issues. Now, if you're still a new and young or maybe a redeveloping business, um, you're, you're really trying to jumpstart things again. Going through the process of identifying the context, the organization, who you are, what you do, internal, external issues, really, really valuable for you. If, on the other hand, you're 20 years into operating your business and you really haven't seen significant changes um, in 10 years, you're going to feel like this is kind of a waste of time. And honestly, sometimes it it is. We still have to have it documented to get certified. That's going to open up new opportunities, so forth for you. But you may be like, Kyle, this is stuff I already know. We all know all of this about our business. Yeah, I get it. But you still got to do it anyways. Um, so context organization can be one of those kind of funny, tricky areas. Then we're going to go into leadership. So leadership, we're looking at management commitment. We're looking at kind of the organization of your company. You'll find that even though there are different clauses, clause four and five for context and, and uh, leadership, it's really a lot of overlaps and execution. So if you feel like I'm blurring the lines here, I am because you know, different organizations, they, they kind of blend and blur differently. But leadership. That's what we want. We want to know how do things get accomplished around here. Now, if you're operating on the environmental or safety side of things, leadership has a few different uh, uh, tie-in points. Like, so leadership and environmental uh, safety. So we're looking at 45,001 or 14,001. That really comes into how you interact with your employees, your training programs, things like that. On the quality side, it's really about, you know, how is management engaging to the product of our quality or services that come out? You know, how are those duties and responsibilities within the company defined and communicated? And this really can start to tie into a lot of the rest of the pieces of the standard. Um, we're going to go then, and I want to take, well, it's not a separate process. I do like to look at the quality policy and objectives separately. Now, if you're doing this for your own company, you may be like, Kyle, we don't have a quality policy. We have a mission statement that our owner put together 10 years ago. Okay. Um, that's the start. I mean, uh, honestly, a quality policy is a mission statement with the sales language removed and you put some teeth to it. All right. So quality policy has a few basic components to it. It must describe the strategic direction of your company. Like, what are we doing? Where are we going? What are we trying to accomplish? Um, it also needs to be able to kind of set up a structure so that you can have some quality objectives um, defined with it. 
Okay. Um, and it also must have a commitment for continual improvement. Now, the problem is you look at all these things and you can really start to build some pretty generic, vague, and they all sound alike quality policies. Now, I've got a separate video that we did on the policy, quality policy. So I'm going to end this little discussion there and you can go back and find that video on quality policy. Um, I think it's fun. I think it's interesting, but hey, maybe, maybe you will, maybe you won't. We'll see. But then we also want to take a look at our objectives. Now, objectives, when I ask about this, the first thing that people do is like they start telling me all their KPIs could be a great thing. Maybe it's not. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. We don't know yet till we take a look at them. But the idea of the quality objectives is you're kind of like a litmus test. So uh, I'll give you an example. We've got a small above ground pool at home. It's one of these uh, kind of soft side ones. I mean, it's, you know, it's a nice above ground pool for what it is, but they're really kind of hard to take care of. Um, and, you know, the pumps on them aren't that great and so forth. So when you go do the uh, chemical test on it, it's going to tell you it's lacking this, it's lacking that. Um, but really, if you see it cloudy or green, that's what I'm trying to avoid. If I see it cloudy or if I see it green, I know I made several other mistakes along the way. And I've probably been making those mistakes for weeks at a time. So every time the pool looks cloudy or gray, those are my objectives for the pool. No cloudiness, no green. Okay. If those two fail, then I need to start doing the chemical test strips. Then I need to start thinking about how I'm vacuuming it and cleaning it. And maybe the filter needs replaced or needs changed. Now we've got a sand filter in there. Maybe it needs backwashed, whatever it is. But my those could all be good KPIs. Now, good KPIs have tracked and managed on a, on a regular basis will always ensure those quality objectives are looking good. But life happens just like, hey, I didn't record for the last couple of weeks after I told you I would. Life happens. Um, these quality objectives are your ultimate litmus test to tell you that something is going really bad for an extended period of time within your organization. Really common objectives might be on-time delivery, However, with the way that the whole international uh, shipping system and freight delivery has been, we have started uh, referring to it as on-time completion and tracking when we close product and send it for uh, shipment as opposed to when it actually gets delivered. That's another conversation for another day. But those are really good, good ones there. If we're consistently having problems getting work done on time, that doesn't necessarily tell me what the problem is, but that sure enough tells me that there's multiple problems that I've got to figure out somewhere else. So those quality objectives really need to be clearly defined and you need to have a number and a measure with them. A quality of Oh, this is one thing we started doing here in the last year. I did it for myself 10 years ago. When I first started doing the consultation work here about six, seven years ago, I, folks didn't find as much value in it. And truthfully, I probably didn't communicate it very well. But we started doing it for everyone here in the last year is with every set of quality objectives. Page one is all about our objectives. Page two tells me very specifically how I'm going to calculate them. I mean, like you're going to go to the XYZ database. You're going to run the ABC report. You're going to extract the data from column three, and you're going to compare it to these numbers you got over here um, from finance. And then here's exactly how you're going to calculate that. Like get specific. Also in that second page, I want to tell us what a, when do we need to take action? Let's say, for instance, you know, we let's let's say we're working with health and safety because this is a real good example. And we say we want zero recordables. 
totally agree. I don't think anyone should ever say, you know, we want only one recordable this year. I mean, you know, it's kind of crappy. You're saying, look, we want to keep folks safe, but man, if uh, if Billy over there breaks a leg, you know, hey, that's fine. It's just one leg broke um, on one guy. We're fine. Okay. You don't really want to do that. We all agree that we want the objective to be zero recordables. Okay. But at what point do you issue a corrective action and really dig into the system, see where the problems have gone wrong? Um, just like with a measurement, we have a tolerance. I recommend a tolerance with our objectives as well. So maybe on-time delivery is, the goal is 99%. Cool, 99% on-time delivery. Or we want to sound good, 100% on-time delivery is our goal. I love it. Let's go shoot for 100%. But at what point do you go, man, we're screwing up. We got to fix this. Is that a 1%? Hey, our goal is 100%, but if we're at 99%, we're not going to do anything about it. We're going to be aware of it. We're going to talk about it, but we're not going to take any corrective action. But hey, we hit 98% and we're figuring stuff out. We're doing some investigating. We're going to figure it out. We're going to issue a corrective action. and We're going to actively make changes to get it back to 100. Okay, so we want to set our tolerance there. How much are we allowed to be out before we have to do something? Now, in the past, I used to do like a color code thing on it because, you know, hey, everyone loves the uh, red, yellow, um, green dashboard. Problem is, when you put stuff in yellow, that doesn't specifically communicate any desired action. So I have since found that we have a goal. We have a tolerance. You get outside the tolerance, we have to issue a corrective action, period. Now, you get to define how frequently you, you check these objectives. Okay. So, in any case, these are the conversations that we have. Like, I, I'm talking to you just, you know, maybe a little faster, a little shorter, but this is exactly how I would do it if I was going through the consultation work with some of the senior management of the company. So, we go through this. Then we're going to talk a little bit about um, risk. I do not like to treat risk as its own separate process. The reason being, you look in the ISO 9001 standard, and you look at kind of how some of the other major standards account for risk, we're either doing a risk management standard, or we're just making good business decisions. And that's effectively what risk-based thinking is, is documentation that we've made good business decisions. Um, the 2008 edition of the ISO 9001 standard had a preventative action clause. They removed it in the 2015 edition of the standard, which we're still on, um, because realistically, the preventative action and the corrective action clause are the same thing. Truly, the only difference is in a corrective action, we had a known defect, and in a preventative action, we had a potential defect. What's a potential defect? Oh, that's a risk. <laughs> and in the previous edition of the standard, we had really no good way to account for changes that we made for opportunities only. They were, were all kind of funneled into continual improvement, but we didn't have a we didn't have a quality process for continual improvement other than continual improvement. Um, so they introduced this idea of risk-based thinking. I've talked about it a lot before. It's kind of weird, but really, we want to we we want to be able to communicate to ourselves, to our team, to our auditor, that yes, we have accounted for what might go wrong in the development of this process. Now, a good way to show evidence of that is a risk register, but please, for crying out loud, do not live and breathe from your risk register. That risk register should not be viewed on a regular basis. Sorry, 
shouldn't. Um, what you need to do with that risk register is document. Here's all the key things that we took into account when developing this process. Here's all the key stuff we took into account when developing this process. From there on out, we will utilize our corrective action report system for managing changes related to risk and opportunities. Now, risk and opportunities, again, I've talked about this before. They are two sides of the same coin. This is a singular phone. Here's the back. Here's the front. Oh, you can see I only got four minutes left to talk. We might not get through everything I want to do today, <laughs> but the two sides of the same coin. So we go through that. Then we're going to talk about our various support processes. And these support processes, you know, these include things like competence and training. So again, simple questions. How do you, you know, don't ask the question, how do you train someone? Maybe y'all don't really have a formalized training program. So it's kind of a, a silly question. That's like asking an Amish guy, how do you change the oil in your truck? Uh, maybe he could tell you because he knows he's talked to people that have to change oil in a vehicle, but he has no truck. You can't ask him, how do you change the oil in your truck? He just doesn't have one. So we want to go in instead with some more broad questions. Sounds pretty dumb, but they're really good questions. How do you know this guy's any good to do the work he does? How do you know? I mean, how could you prove to me that he's he's good for the work he does? Now, they may come at you with a lot of different answers, and truly none of these are wrong answers, and they can all be valuable. And I'd be like, look, he's done this for 30 years. He's the most experienced guy we have here. We all go to him for help. I mean, none of us are qualified to certify him. Okay. We can actually work with that and deal with that. Um, I, I've done this before. What you do is you get management to write up a letter for him effectively on letterhead stating that due to, you know, his uh, years experience, qualifications, blah, blah, blah. Maybe we get a copy of his resume to show all the places he used to work. We get a copy of any certs that he might have got before. We say, look, this guy's qualified for XYZ uh, process. Okay, cool. All right. Now, there are some caveats to it. Maybe this is with welding and we have a WPS that needs to be in there. Maybe this is with uh, uh, forklifts and, you know, we have to have documentation sake that he took the quiz and things like that. But we, we can really we can do a lot with it. So we don't have to just treat everyone from ground ground zero. There may be some exceptions to the rule. Great. They can be exceptions to the rule. We'll document it and move forward. Maybe on the other hand, he's like, look, we send everyone over to the safety council for their safety training, and we don't really have any other training. Otherwise, we, we've got a couple of guys that, you know, we we, we send out for, for welder qualification, and we send them over to this lab for it. Okay, cool. So you're outsourcing the majority of your company's trainings. Fantastic. We will document it as such. But you just want, again, go through and... A, determine what people are and aren't doing and document what's currently being done. We can then later figure out how we might could map that to a requirement of the standard. And when we can't, then we have to introduce something new. And then we're going to talk about document and information. Yeah. So document information is probably where I will pick back up next time because there's a lot, still a lot more to talk about here. Um, but again, all of these are, this is how we go through that consultation process. And you're probably thinking to yourself, Kyle, it sounds like all you're really doing so far is just, just talking to people. And like, yeah, you know what our business is run by? Our business is not run by computers and, and phones and procedures. Huh. Our business is run by people. So who do I need to talk to? People. Our computers, our software, our forms, our procedures, all of those are designed to support the people 
that do the work. So understand what your people do. In doing so, you're going to get a really weird added benefit that you never probably considered is people are going to quit being so afraid of you and the complications you're going to add to their business. And instead, they might actually engage with you, communicate with you and share some useful insights. You definitely want to be on their team. The best way to be on their team is just to act like they are smart, intelligent people and try to understand them. If you come at them with this team building mentality, I'm here to work with you and I am on your side. And then you just ask them a lot of pointed uh, questions and you start using a bunch of jargon and you start telling them what the standard wants. You've got bupkis zero hope of engagement with those folks. But again, you come at it, you treat them like a person, you ask them about it, you show some interest in their work, and you just want to know what they do because you assume that they're doing something good. Man, it's going to get you a lot further, a lot faster than you ever would otherwise. And that's just as critical of a component in that consulting process as anything else is. So, hey, we will pick back up next week talking about documented information, and we'll kind of finish going through all of these key processes then. And in the following weeks, again, we're going to dive into each of these processes in more detail, kind of go through what, what you might be looking for in it. So that's all I got for you guys today. Um, if you haven't already, I encourage you to go ahead and check out our website at texasqa.com. Hey, we are going to be putting together a mailing list here soon with a lot of good op, um offers and features and so forth for our QMS software, TQA Cloud. We've got a lot of new development going into it, and we want to make sure that we can get it uh, in as many shops as possible. So go check that out, if you will. They do a lot to help us uh, support what we do here on this, uh, on this podcast for you. So that's all I got. Y'all uh, take care and have a good day.